full steam with Jess Kelly. Brought to you by Work Human, the number one best workplace in Ireland. And we're hiring. Visit workhuman.com. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Full Steam, a series that profiles some of the most influential people from the world of science, technology, engineering, arts and maths, all of whom just happen to be women. I'm Jess Kelly and over the coming weeks we'll bring you in-depth conversations with the likes of the MD of Microsoft Ireland and the Data Protection Commissioner. We begin this week with Anne O'Leary, the CEO of Vodafone Ireland. Hailing from Cork, Anne O'Leary has been in the driving seat at Vodafone since 2013. She oversees a 50-50 gender split at senior leadership level and is a champion of well-being, diversity and inclusion in the workplace. She has served as the president of Dublin Chamber of Commerce and the chair of Goal. I sat down with Anne to talk through her early life and the road to becoming CEO. I grew up in Beaumont or Blackrock, so um, four kids, only girl three brothers, so an older brother than me and then two younger boys. And it was a lovely childhood. I think it was probably nice being an only girl. You have that uh, special relationship with your father. Mm -hmm. You probably get away with more. And, um, you know, I went to the local school, Beaumont. I ran up there in the morning in primary and ran home at lunchtime, you know. And I went to the Ursuline Convent, another local school uh, in secondary. And um, I just remembered as happy, hung around in each other's gardens, spent a lot of time out of the house, as you did then. Um, most of, like my mother didn't work, she stayed at home and most of my friends' mothers were the same. Mm -hmm. So it was very easygoing, trusting, uh, relaxed environment. And so were you a naturally sporty child? Because we know that sport plays a big part in your life now. Having three brothers, was that part of your life? Um, it's funny, it wasn't ball sports. And I'm not sure because I was never any good at it or I didn't go to ball sport lessons. Mm -hmm. So I was a swimmer. So I started swimming at a young age and there was a family, a kind of a famous family living up the road who were big into swimming and all competitive swimmers. So one of the daughters there, I used to go to all the training sessions with her. Now she was far better than me, but I loved swimming. Um, so I think the swimming was the main thing. I also did a lot of dance, did ballet and tap dancing, Irish dancing and drama. So there was a local drama, Blackrock drama group who used to do kind of the Christmas plays. And I was very involved in that and I loved being on the stage. <laughs> Uh, so I think the combination of the swimming was the sporting bit and then I think the drama really helped me be comfortable later on mm -hmm. talking in front of crowds. I encourage all my friends to have their children do that um, so it, it's not such a big issue. And were you like a loud child in general or did you have to shout louder because there was four of you in the house? I'm one of four as well and I'm probably the quietest of the four in our household. But did you have to kind of make yourself heard or were they very attentive to you because you're the only girl? I, you know, I think I was an extrovert. <laughs> I think I probably was heard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so I don't remember that. But I think being an only girl with three boys, I probably did get a fair share of voice and was probably minded a bit better mm -hmm. when they weren't allowed to go near the sister, when they'd be all kind of fighting with each other. Um, and I had a lot of good girlfriends, so I spent a lot 
with my friends actually out of the house. My younger brother said, you were never at home. You were always up the road in friends' houses uh, with them. So um, it was, I remember as kind of a nice, easygoing childhood with not a lot of pressure and a lot of enjoyment. Did you know what you wanted to be when you grow up? Like, did you have a clear vision of, you know, when I'm a grown up, this is what I'm going to do to make money? Absolutely not. Oh, really? I mean, there was no talk in my house about that or what you need to be. I mean, completely different nowadays mm -hmm. when I see young teenage girls and they come to me for advice or my friends, uh, daughters. Oh, no, it was not at all about that. My mother had decided that I was going to be a nurse because she thought that was a good vocation and a good job for any young girl. And of course, she was right. Mm -hmm. However, it is a vocation, and I don't think I would have been a very good nurse. Um, I'm one of these people, you know, if you're sick, sure, you'll be all right, you know, just get up and get on with it. So up to my leaving cert, I was going to be a nurse, and I was going for the interview for nursing. And the day before, I said to my mother, what am I doing? No, that's not for me. And I, she was distraught, actually, and quite disappointed because she didn't understand the business world. Mm -hmm. And I think from then on, she's been quite alarmed or surprised at the different roles that I've done. Um, so, no, believe it or not, that wasn't it. And it was just getting into business, getting into big companies and seeing the opportunities that are there, seeing the investment in your learning and development. And really trying to do the best I could do in every job I did and opportunities being given and afforded to me. What was it about business? Was it just the going in and exploring and see where you end up or did you have a particular company or a particular role in mind? No. Really? <laughs> no, I got, my first job was with Nixdorf Computer on the South Mall and people say, you really shouldn't say that name because it really makes you really old. <laughs> but, um, and I went in there kind of doing administration roles and went on to do kind of sales and marketing. But uh, no, but I had this very strong work ethic. Um, and I'm very collaborative and I want to do the really best job I could do because I felt really grateful for having a job mm -hmm. and for getting paid every month. So I went in uh, with that attitude and really did my best. And what happens in these large companies people see that and they give you more responsibility and they give you more training and they give you more development and more opportunities and with that that's actually what happened uh, being collaborative working as a team being open to new jobs and new roles being open to learning and you know I went from Nixdorf to Western Digital at the time and then over to London I worked in Reuters and then came back and worked for the Golden Pages, which I say was the Google of its time, because yeah. it really was selling advertising. And that again was, you know, I mean, my boyfriend at the time, who's my husband now, I remember he's an accountant, and he said to me, now he did say sales and marketing people can make as much as a CEO. And he said, you, you can sell ideas to people. You know, if I bought the latest makeup, uh, I'd recommend it to my friends and they'd all buy it. So he was saying, you have this skill, so maybe you should look at it. Mm -hmm. So I went down the marketing and sales area, and I was successful in that. What did you do in college, though? What did you end up doing in college? So I studied marketing and CIT by night. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. And then from that, I went on to do other things like London Business School and Harvard, because you get into these businesses and they say, oh God, we need to give you more. And I had this opportunity to do that. And I've kind of kept lifelong learning with that. I've just finished my chartered director's program. So it really has been an unusual way to the top. It's probably not the way now where yeah. you'd say to young girls, well, you need to go to university and study something mm -hmm. that you like and then maybe specialise. So that's what happened. So you just threw in Harvard there like it was, you know, doing the weekly shop. What, what, how did you end up at Harvard and what well, did you do there? When you go into big companies and maybe if you don't have you know, the traditional degree, mm -hmm. uh, they say, well, you, maybe you should have more learning and development. And I went off um, for a month and did that. I went to London Business School. Um, actually, we're talking about looking at another opportunity, maybe doing a three-month stint there, uh, which really, it's like a real deep MBA probably in a shorter space of time, but with the latest thinking and the best professors and surrounded by uh, multicultural people from all industries. So I probably will look at doing that uh, sometime next year. With again. all your free time? Well, <laughs> I just make the time. Yeah. Okay. And did you ever contemplate like living and working abroad? Were you ever tempted to stay in London or, you know, move to Boston or anything like that? Well, I think when you're from Cork, the first thing is there's nowhere like it and why should you move? Like, let's be very honest. And a lot of my friends have never moved from Cork and are perfectly happy. Primary school, secondary school, college, you know, university. And it's a wonderful quality of life and a great place to live. And I might have been like that, but um, when my partner at the time qualified as an accountant, every accountant was going to London. And so we all went, uh, the partners as well, and we all lived in places like Twickenham and Richmond and St. Margaret's. Our social life was all around a London Irish rugby club. And it was a super time in London uh, for the Irish uh, when there was no jobs here. And yes, I think I would have stayed on um, but I got offered the job in Golden Pages and it was running the southeast, traveling around the southeast, visiting businesses, understanding their needs and devising their advertising campaign, which really was just the local paper or the main paper or the Golden Pages. And um, that was an eye opener in terms of marketing strategies and sales strategies and understanding business. And um, I never thought I'd move from Cork to Dublin. And then um, when ESAT Telecom got bought out by British Telecom, there were a lot of changes, etc. And I was approached and asked, would I come up to Dublin for a year to run their business B2B sales? And I said, okay, I'll go for a year. And that was maybe 16 years ago. Okay. And I've grown to love Dublin. And I really enjoy the people and the life and the opportunities here. And do you go back to Cork much? Of course. <laughs> uh, well, my mum was there up to May of this year, and she, or last year she died, passed away, but she was down there, so I visit her a lot. But I also have two brothers and nephews, and I have a whole host of friends, and I keep close to them. My friends are key to me. I also have a house in West Cork. Okay. So I holiday, holiday there uh, three weeks a year in the summer. And I go down some of the bank holidays weekends. So absolutely, it's home. 
I was at the Look the Business event last year and you every year get up on stage and you give a, a little speech and you kind of rally the troops and all the women in the room sit up a bit straighter when you come off stage. Uh, but that was soon after your mother passed away mm. and you mentioned it. Uh, what impact did losing your mum have on you? Did it sort of make you reassess your work-life balance? Did it, you know, mm. when you look back at it now, what, what impact well, did it have? Well, I suppose... Because of that and other things, 2018 was a really tough year. And I think what it gave me is uh, a much greater awareness of the importance of empathy in leadership and how things like grief can affect people. So we talk a lot about bring your whole self to work so that people come to work and they can be themselves. And that really was around gender and LGBT etc and you know making sure we're respectful and inclusive but also to understand the personal setbacks that people have and I was very upset by the death of my mother because it was so sudden and I was suffering from grief and some mornings I didn't feel like going to work but I had to go to work and and I sometimes think is I couldn't bring my whole self to work I actually had to bring half of myself to work and I had to try and leave that bit because I had to perform mm -hmm. and I had to support and I had to run a business. So I think my speech at the glass was about in this ever-changing world, this demanding world, that there is a real space for kindness and empathy. And as a leader to ensure we're asking our people, how are you today? How really are you? And someone can say, actually, I'm having a bad time and we can just support them or be aware that they, not, they may not be firing in all cylinders but um, and it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to be vulnerable. So I think as a leader it gave me a much bigger insight into setbacks and the understanding and that we need to support each other and that we're all not rock solid um, and we do have personal and professional setbacks. So I think it was a good learning for me and it's made me more aware and at all my one-on-ones with people I always ask them you know not work first how are you how's life how are things uh, because I think it can affect people's performance and how they turn up at work if they're upset or something else is going on. I've heard you say that you know bring your whole self to work thing before how do you ensure that that's not just like an Oprah Winfrey-like slogan, that it is something that people can sort of clutch onto and be in the workplace? Well, you know, um, it's, it's respecting. So whether it's a gender thing, you know, being, if you want to be female and be a woman, you can. If you want to dress, you know, femininely and you want to speak about the interests that you're interested in, whether it's shopping or shoes, that it's okay. You know, I grew up in an environment that, you know, really I had to kind of become like the man. You know, I worked in a very male-dominated environment where the men were really nice mm -hmm. and really supportive. But, you know, I wore trouser suits. I had cufflinks. I didn't want to be uh, feminine because I felt that might show a weakness. So the, the table was set for a man, basically, exactly. when you started Exactly, and yeah. to blend in and to be accepted... You know, I used to follow soccer. I was a Mad Man United fan. Um, because that's what the conversations were about. Mm -hmm. So you either got with the programme or you maybe felt isolated. And by the way, that was fine for me. 
but not every woman will be able to do that. So that's the thing about people being able to talk about things that are they're interested in and people giving each other the space and the time to respect our differences so that people feel included in the conversation. You know, and whether it was the pub or the golf years ago mm -hmm. that went on, you know, what is it now? I think it's less that. But what are the conversations that are happening? How can we just make sure that everyone feels welcome? And whether it's LGBT, that it's okay now to say, you know, I'm gay. And you know, that I've had a big awareness through, obviously gender, I was very aware of being a woman and having been through a lifetime of it. You know, if we look at the LGBT network that we set up in Vodafone, I remember going to the kickoff four years ago and one of the guys said, the first six years in Vodafone, I dreaded Monday mornings. And I'm like going, why, did, why would you dread Monday mornings? And it was because people asked, what did you do for the weekend? Or where did you go? And of course, for him, he couldn't say where he went. Mm -hmm. Because if he did, people would know he was gay. And he didn't think that was going to be accepted. So for me, you know, that's a real issue for somebody coming in on a Monday morning, where you want them motivated and engaged, you know, it's tough enough on a Monday morning anyway, totally, yeah. without having that baggage. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that is an example of where people should be comfortable talking about their life and people respecting, if it's different to their own, that it's okay. And I really believe if I have an environment like that and people are more engaged and more comfortable, they'll be more productive and focusing on what's really important, like delivering the business results or beating the competitors or being the best they can be in work to deliver the outcomes that they've set. So really, that is what Bring Your Whole Self to Work is about. You mentioned there a minute ago about 2018 being sort of a, a gear shift in terms of equality and just about talking about issues in the workplace and in day-to-day -day life. Did you face any of those sort of big awkward moments in your career path because you were working in male dominated spaces from a young age so in sales then you mentioned that you're working in, in telecoms as well did you encounter that awkwardness did you feel that you were changing yourself to blend in did you excuse things that shouldn't have been excused i mean definitely from my perspective i did have more kind of male behaviors to blend in and i did wear in my 30s mm -hmm. trouser suits and I did go into meetings where there could have been 18 men and just me. And going into the meeting, I'm going, how am I going to survive this? Because just the kind of testosterone or competitiveness, I felt tension is the word. And I remember coming back from one meeting and going to my CEO, no normal woman would be able to survive it. Like it was a test of resilience. It wasn't, you know, sexual harassment or anything inappropriate. It was just a culture and environment that's very hard to explain, you know, but it's compared to now where you have diversity, like in Vodafone, you know, we'd have 50-50 presented, that you have introverts and extroverts, you have male opinions, female opinion, you have age, you have capability. So everyone gets uh, to say their piece, people are listened to, there's no dominant voice or dominant behaviour. So it just wasn't a great productive environment. So I, you know, people said to me, but why did you do it? I said, because I probably wouldn't have survived. I'd have been mm. exited or maybe wouldn't have got the next job. 
maybe it was my own insecurity. I don't know what it is, but I wanted to be judged on my work and the results I delivered, um, and I was. And just to call out as well though, you know, most of my bosses were male at the time and, you know, the majority of them were mentors, sponsors and supporters of me. And I would have never got to the CEO of Vodafone without their encouragement and support. But sometimes just the atmospheres that were created uh, through having 90% male around the table is not healthy. Mm -hmm. And we know from all the research that gender diversity is the key diversity piece to start with. And if you don't have that, you, it's really, really hard for a business. And so is that one of the, the reasons why you do pride yourself on the 50-50 balance and you, know, you have all these stats of the gender balance at every stage of your management team? Is that why it's so important to you? Absolutely. So when I joined Vodafone about 11 years ago now, I set up the Women's Network. And I said, and that was even before its time. Mm -hmm. And at the time, people said to me, why would you do that? And why would you help anyone else? <laughs> Which I thought was very interesting. And That's very I, telling of them though, rather oh, than it, of oh, you. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. And I, you know, send the elevator down. And I actually said, because you know what? Not all women are as resilient as I am. And some of them might just go, I'm not putting up with this. I'm getting out of here. And that's what ultimately happens. Mm -hmm. I'm not putting up with this environment, you know. So I want to have a network where women could learn about their personal presence, learning about leaning in, ask questions, get support, get mentorship, hear my story, hear that what's going on isn't right and what they need to do about it. And really, it, it's been a huge sense of pride for me now. And I really focused on our, our outcomes and our targets, ensuring that at every level of the organisation, we had gender balance and gender split, and for every manager to make sure that their team is diverse. And it's been a 10 year, and now you know we're market leading in terms of that. And because of it, it's a really nice environment and really nice cult culture. And we have superior business results in terms of revenue growth, EBITDA growth, innovation. And, you know, we win awards right across in terms of our people, our technologies that we develop, the policies we've put in place, mm -hmm. the culture that's there. So it's kind of, you know, you know, absorbed its way into every single metric of the business. So I'm really proud of what's been done. Uh, but, and I feel really strongly about gender equality but you know that there will be people who are watching this or hearing this and they'll roll their eyes to the sky going, you know, women. Like, you know, just tick box ticking, you know, it's, they're doing it for the sake of it or they're doing it because it looks good. What do you say to those people, those people who say, well, actually, if you look at the statistics, you know, women go on maternity leave, so blah, 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 blah. Like, sorry, like, if they look at the statistics, the statistics are that boards and companies with better gender diversity do better. They are better, but they're more sustainable. They have higher revenue growth, higher profitability, um, and it reflects society. So, you know, if people say that, it really is ignorance. And anyone that works in a gender diverse organization on a board or in a, know the results and see the results. And I hear it from men and women all the time, the difference it made the different opinions, the different voices, the different ideas, how it drives innovations, the questions, you know, 
what did Lagarde say if Lehman Brothers was Lehman Sisters? We'd have seen more prudence. We would not have seen the financial crisis that was there. And so diversity, gender diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of capabilities, you know, anyone that's still questioning it, you know. And yes, uh, someone has to have the babies. And at the moment, it's only the women. So, you know, brilliant, yeah. <laughs> right? And we need a sustainable future. We need youth. We need young population. We need it for pension. So, yes, they have to have babies. So we need to facilitate that, like we do in Vodafone with our policies we have. Mm -hmm. We have global policies in our 26 countries. We do everything we can to keep women working while they have children. We do everything we can in our policies to, uh, you know, facilitate um, women coming back to work. They come back after their maternity policy and they work four days. They get paid five days for the first six months. Uh, we have flexible working. They can take term time holidays. We give them the tools to work from anywhere. But these policies are for our men too. And in the, the world of real equality now, uh, like a lot of my friends, where men are sharing the housework and the parental duties, the men love it. No meetings before nine o'clock or after five for men or women. So, you know, this open culture, this flexible work policies is great for business. And where we're, we have a problem finding talent. People say, we can't get good people. We have a returner women's program where women have taken time out of work to look after their family. These are people with engineering qualifications, commerce qualification, law qualifications. We bring them back, we train them. They're loyal, they're hardworking, you know, they have life experience. So everything we do in Vodafone is keeping the women working. And as we know, sometimes young under five can be really difficult. You know, childcare is an issue, the cost of it, access to it, etc. So these policies need to be worked on with government as well. You know, like in France, where you can drop your kid to the local school at eight o'clock and collect it at seven o'clock. It's fed really nutritious food. They're playing chess. They're doing whatever uh, sport. Um, it's a really healthy environment for children with other kids. So there's other things we need to do, but I'm a firm believer in gender diversity and people that aren't and think it's box ticking, honestly, are now back in the dark ages. I want to talk briefly, uh, you mentioned that you've been in Vodafone 11 years now. Mm. When you were appointed CEO, was that a big change going from the role you were in, which was very senior, to suddenly being the head honcho? Well, it was, I'll be honest with you. So I was enterprise director. Traditionally, enterprise people do not get the CEO job. It's usually consumer people. So, and I was the first Irish person to be appointed. So it was... Uh, a brave decision, I think, by Vodafone. And I'll be honest with you, I did go, oh my God, when I was appointed, am I going to be found out? Am I actually going to be able to do the role? So like everyone, you know, you have questions about it. And actually what was interesting is coming up, I often talk about this, when I was talking to people about the role and that they were looking at me, 80% of people said to me, are you mad? Why would you take that role, Anne? And it's called benevolent bias. And this is everywhere. Where people that care about you and love you think they're helping you. It's like parents with their children, but they're actually holding you back. And thank God I didn't listen to them. Because I said it was like training for a marathon for a year. 
and you're 100 metres from the finish line on race day and they say to you, don't bother finishing. Why would you finish? Like I'd been training all my life for this role and the opportunity had come up. And of course I had the questions about whether I would be successful and whether I was good enough. But I, when I sat down, I said, what's the worst thing that can happen? I'll go into the role and six months or eight months into it, either I won't enjoy it or two, I won't be good enough. And they'll say, that didn't work out, but I've learned something in that six or eight months. So this is about the leaning in mm -hmm. and about seizing the opportunity. And I did. And it's been the best thing I've ever done. Because as CEO, you have the influence and the platform and the power to make real positive societal change and a platform to do good. Also a platform to surround yourself with really the best people and do the right thing for your company, your people and the society and the communities that we work in. So it has been a dream come true. And when I think back of that feedback I got of the questions, it's quite astounding really, that I may not have taken it mm -hmm. if I listened to the advice that was given with kindness and in the best intentions, but it really would have held me back. We often hear, and I've read quite a lot about imposter syndrome, which is you know so common, particularly with women when they get to a certain level, it's like, oh my God, I'm gonna get found out any second now. Did, did you have an ounce of that or were you just self-aware in that I could fail or I could succeed? I think everyone has imposter syn syndrome. I think women, though, articulate it honestly and too honestly. So I've known from mentoring and sponsoring women mm -hmm. and saying, you know, I want you to go for the job. They'll go, oh my God, please no, you know, not me, I'll fail, I only have 70%. While I think men probably do have it, but they don't articulate it, or maybe they're leaning in or being a bit braver, okay? So when I got offered that job, of course I questioned. Am I really going to be good enough? Am I really going to be successful? You know, is this going to work out? Uh, and I think it's natural for women and people to have that, but you have to be brave and you have to be courageous and you have to go for it with an open mind, uh, understanding that you have to learn and you don't have all the answers and that you're curious um, and that you will develop. And I'm, I'm sure I'm a much better CEO now than when I started six years ago and it's been a learning and developing, but it's been a true privilege. I, uh, I think you were one of the first people I spoke to when I got my job as tech correspondent. We were at an event and I was like scared beyond belief and you gave me like a three minute pep talk. I didn't know you that well at all and you just gave me a pep talk and it was great. Do you do that often and is that something that comes naturally to you and do you ever get exhausted by trying to build up people the entire time? No. I mean, that was, I remember you saying, I'm after getting this job and I'm nervous and whatever. And people say that all the time. And, you know, I remember I said to you, you go for it. You know, there's timing, there's luck, there's opportunity. Seize it, do your best, you know, go for it. See how it goes. That's all you can say to somebody. Take it as an opportunity. Um, and, you know, 90% of the time, you've been chosen because you're able to do it you know, to all the women that are listening here, that they know you have the potential. No, you might be the finished article, but that happens with men as well. So it's great to see people taking the same risks on women that they do on men. But you know, it can be harder for women because the expectations for us is not to fail. And often for women, we have to be much better 
because mm-hmm. we're under the limelight. But no, I love giving advice and pep talks. And often I'd say that, I can't remember exactly the words. And people would say to me, Anne, thank you. I remember when you said that for me. I remember when you encouraged me. And that was really helpful. And I, you know, I'm delighted that I can encourage and motivate and inspire people. And have mentors and role models played a big part in where you are now? And do you still have people that you can turn to for guidance or does it get harder when you're CEO? Nope. I still have mentors and sponsors and people I ask for advice. I think it's really important no matter what level you get in case you leave, lose your self-awareness or think you're... So I would have within Vodafone people I meet for lunch or coffee, ask them how's it going, how's the world changing, how's the company changing, how do I need to change, what do I need to do better. I mean, you know, our competitive set is changing, our consumers, our, the demands, the environmental, environment, political and economic that we work in. So we have to be agile and constantly adapt and change our leadership style and how we respond. So, no, I'm constantly reaching out. I mean, humility is very important in leadership. And I think if you lose that, uh, you have an issue. So no, I'm, I have people and I'm constantly asking them. I mean, you don't have to take the advice, mm-hmm. but you do have to listen and see what they say, because sometimes they're coming from a perspective that you mightn't have considered. And um, I think self-awareness is huge. And then I don't lose the run of myself being from Cork, you know, think I'm too important. No, um, I'm always learning. Well, I was going to ask, what kind of leader are you? Would you say, would you, would your team reflect those sentiments back towards you? I think my team would say I'm very driven. Yeah, I am very energetic. I love big challenges. I'm very motivated and inspired by the next thing, you know, whether that's 5G or NBIOT or society or the connecting for good you know i really find what we do in vodafone really i don't know really motivating and inspiring you know that we build networks that allow people connect at a personal level to your mum or dad or friend just to say i love you or business or health or education people in remote locations i mean i just love it So I feel very purpose-led and that's what motivates me. Ethics and values and doing right by our customers and believing that customers will reward you through that. And we've seen that a hundred times over in Vodafone in terms of the market share we have and the customers we have that say to me, you know, we'll never leave you, Anne, because your network works everywhere and it's the best. And what I can do with that network and the importance of that So, you know, I think that is what motivates me. And I think my people see that as a leader. You know, you will rarely hear me talking about things like profit for profit's sake. I will talk about are we, when we're making decisions on anything, product pricing launches, what is the right thing to do? What's the long-term sustainable thing to do? So I think they'd see me as collaborative. It's all about the team. We're all, we all fail or we all win. It's not one versus the other. I really drive that collaboration. I try to consult and get opinions, but I'm also decisive mm-hmm. when it needs to be. Um, I think I'm seeing as, you know, a people person with empathy as well. And when things 
go wrong for people that I really support them. Um, have you always been a be natural surprised. leader though? Like have you always, like I from a young age? I think so. I actually do think so. Okay. I think I was always the one that organised stuff or had ideas and, you know, that I could influence people to my way of thinking. Mm -hmm. But I'm also, um, in terms of the team, I don't have to be. I like to be led as well. I like to work for inspirational leaders and I like to take other people's ideas if they're good. I don't have to create my own if, if they've been done elsewhere. So because we're in 26 countries, I love looking at best practice from other countries and seeing what they've done there and seeing does that make sense for Ireland, but also pushing back when it doesn't for our culture or our people. So I would like them to think that I'm loyal and kind as well, but driven and resilient um, and I have very high standards which can be good and bad. I expect people, you know, to perform at a high level and to do their best. You're very visible as a CEO. Was that a conscious decision or is it something that just came as Vodafone were doing more and more exciting things? You had more, more launches to go to, more photo calls, that sort of thing. Again, I think it's part of my role. I think we do amazing things. And I think it's important that we talk about them externally. So that's the first thing. So whether it's 5G or NBIOT or the Women's Network or domestic abuse or violence policy, you know, I want to share it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I am asked by people mm -hmm. and I feel a kind of a moral duty and obligation to do that, especially to younger women, because they say you can't be what you can't see and that women don't have female role models. So, you know, if I can just inspire that one or two in the classroom or when they go to I wish or one of these things to think I can do honours maths or physics or I can be in technology and I don't need to be a nerd. Um, so I feel a duty uh, in terms of that as well. So it is part of, of me to use my platform for good and that I don't look back when I'm 65 and said that I was CEO of a really huge company that did amazing things and I was a role model and I didn't use it for good. And talking of that, that leads very nicely into my next point of uh, some of the work that you do outside of Vodafone. So let's stay with the Vodafone brand for a second. You guys support uh, the ISPCC significantly. We had John Church on Tech Talk earlier this year talking about their new platform, which was uh, very heavily funded by Vodafone. Um, why is that cause important to you guys? Because surely you could Put your money wherever you like. So the Vodafone Foundation is hugely active in Ireland. Well, it's active worldwide and they've given hundreds of millions to charitable causes. I mean, it really is part of our purpose. And in Vodafone, you know, over the past 10 years, we've probably spent seven or eight million in different charitable causes and multiple causes. And we picked uh, ISPCC as our partner a few years ago. And we worked with them in terms of children as our future also in terms of bringing them into the digital age because now children just don't want to do it over the phone digital um, online whatever way so we felt there was a natural correlation that we could uh, digitize them and bring them into uh, the new age and also our employees really felt strongly about childline and what they do and that there's you know it's a listening service and that children have a safe place to go. So we wanted to build awareness 
that they could just chat about things that maybe they don't feel comfortable at home or with friends bullying or something happening at the home or whatever and you know our employees you know are really engaged in that and they, they do their own funding and of course uh, in September we did 30k in 30 days so I swam in the sea a kilometer a day in September for 30 days for to raise funds and loads of our employees did a range of other activities so it's an engagement thing as well for a common purpose and a common good and we will continue to do that because we feel it's important to give back to society but we do it to a range of other uh, charitable partners as well. Uh, you also, uh, I think it was last year and the year before, did the Code Like a Girl initiative, which was all about encouraging young women into uh, the STEM and STEAM subjects. I went along to one of those sessions in Cabantili and I met with some of the girls who were doing it. And not only was there the basic side of, you know, this is how you write a line of code, there was also empowerment training and all of these different things that they had never even contemplated and I, as a grown adult, had never really contemplated either. Is that something that you feel obliged to do to give back to the community or again is it from a real passion point for you? No, it's a real passion, diversity and inclusion and, and gender and uh, youth and women are two are pillars of our sustainability strategy and no it is we are very active going out to schools um, in our gigabit hubs like Ludgate and around the country doing Coder Jojo uh, unconscious bias training for teachers, really encouraging computer skills for youth, also even doing smartphone lessons for the elderly. So, you know, we're in all these communities, whether there's the Gigabit Hubs with our joint venture with ESB, bringing fibre in, or our retail shops. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's never really an obligation or a feeling that we have to do it. It really is part of the way we work. And like there's so many volunteers in work that want to be part of it. So we reach out to our employees and we tell them, do you want to be on the women's network or the youth skills and jobs network or the STEM program or the LGBT network or whatever groups and people get involved. We connecting women in technology, we're involved with them, the 30% club. We do some work with DCU. Uh, we go into some of the uh, underprivileged schools to try to hand the feedback from our employees is huge. But I get emails from people saying, my daughter never contemplated honours maths until she heard, you know, thank you. Mm -hmm. My daughter never talked about um, a career in technology until she met you or our people. Yeah. You know, thank you. Because obviously children don't often listen to their parents. We didn't really. So it's other people. So, you know, we want to reach out to as many as we can. I think it's over 10,000 uh, youths. And we have internships and we have um, student, you know, programs. We're bringing people in for holiday time, for the month of summer, for graduate programs. I mean, we're out in the colleges and the schools doing all we can as well, because this is talent as well for us. But do you think that the traditional education system needs to be more reflective of the real workplace today? So whether it is, you know, what you guys are doing in terms of the coding training or just having real life skills so that when yeah. you graduate, you can enter a workplace like Vodafone and not be scared of your shadow? No, I think so. And I think we're seeing it in, in different colleges where the courses are more 
making people ready, work ready. But you know, I think it goes back to parents' awareness and the biases that are there at home for girls versus boys. And teachers are huge. And we're looking at how we can work more with teachers who can influence and drive from as early as primary school um, and make sure that there aren't unconscious biases in terms of how we're streaming kids and how children are thinking about what they should do, whether it was my mother deciding a nurse, mm -hmm. you know, and that was quite a big job back in my day. You know, a lot of people went into nursing. So um, I think we have more to do in terms of the education system, the schools, uh, in, in the digital skills that, that, that our graduates need, absolutely. Another partnership that I know you're very proud of is with the Irish Rugby team. Mm. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about that because again this is another thing that's just more than the logo on the shirt. Yeah, so obviously investing in sport, it's a wonderful opportunity to do that. Again, I think it's important that big brands and big companies do that. Um, so the partnership has been wonderful. I mean, they are a lovely organisation to work with. Uh, we want to build an interconnected fan base, we call about it, trying to connect everybody to Irish rugby and to the team. And look, we know the Irish, there's nothing like them getting behind sport and the passion of sport. And we see every game, uh, you know, the take up and the followership of them. And I'm, I mean, they are heroes, everyone in that team, to young boys and girls in terms of how they play, how they act, the educational uh, attainment that they have, the professionalism that they have. So really, uh, we obviously having our logo on their shirt is excellent, but um, it's really about trying to show who they are where they come from, you know, whether it's Tyg Furlong from his farm, etc., that they're all from different backgrounds and that irrespective of who you are, you can play sport and represent your country and become an idol and create these wonderful followerships. So uh, first was hashtag team of us mm -hmm. and it was about the, not the one person on the team. It was never about the one and that's about business and life. There are no heroes, we're all heroes. And we also try to bring in all the provinces. You'll see in all our advertising, there's rarely one person, there's always four. And from country and city and from different provinces, from different backgrounds. Um, and who we are is how we play. There was an ad from Babies, if you remember, there was a little baby, Connor Murray mm -hmm. and Tyg Furlong, Limerick. And so, and um, you know, we will continue to build on that and really building the brand of rugby and trying to get everyone in Ireland behind them when they play and certainly for the Rugby World Cup and win or lose, we believe in them and everybody's in. That was the latest campaign showing, if you saw the campaign, it's quite different, young and old, girls, boys, black, white, uh, different gender, different race. Um, that rugby isn't that elitist sport that it maybe was thought of in the past. Mm -hmm. And I know sport plays a big part in your personal life as well. You do triathlons like I do the weekly shop, like you're pretty dedicated to it. How do you find the time and why, do you, why is it so important to you? Well, I think for me to perform at my level in work, I kind of say I'm, you have to be like a corporate athlete. Okay, there's the work part, but you need a good physical and mental and emotional well-being and exercise gives you that 
and I, for me to be at my best, to think well, to deal with the setbacks and challenges in business, you really need to be in a good place. So exercise allows me to do that. So getting out on my bike on a Sunday, going up the Wicklow Mountains, there is nothing better to get those happy endorphins, um, see the beautiful scenery, get air. On a Saturday, I like to run. I ran 8K on Saturday along the water and Dunleary, you know, just peace of mind. And then I went to yoga to stretch out and calm me down. And during the week, you know, I swim in the pool now. I'll get back into the water soon. There's nothing like the seawater to really make you feel good. So that is the way I lead my life because I know I'm better when I exercise. And then, you know, I've rolled that out through Vodafone, um, physical and mental. We have a full gym, we have wellness week, we have nutrition talks. Whatever works for people, it could be walking, it could be meditation, it could be yoga. But, you know, mental health is a big issue and people need to mind themselves. And I say to people, you have to mind yourself first. And I just need to provide the environment and the culture and the flexibility that people can pop down to the gym anytime. There are classes, there's yoga and there's different type of classes available as well. I personally like being outside mm -hmm. if I can. Uh, but I do go to a personal trainer every Wednesday to make sure I do my strength and core work. Um, so it's just really important. And I do, we sponsor Dublin City Triathlon and it is, we put teams in. So as, some, as people said to me, Anne, I'm not an Ironman. I said, you don't need to be. This is like a 750 meter swim, a 20K bike, a 5K run. You can do that. And we'd have over 100, 150 employees participating. And often they do one part of it and then they go on. And like I've had people say, I went from couch to 5K and I feel like an iron woman. And I said, you are an iron woman. And that gets them on that um, exercise and mental well-being. So it really is an important part of my life and my well-being. And I'll never, ever give it up. And so is that your main method then for shutting down? Because I'd say you've got a million events in a week, a million emails in a week, your brain could probably get pretty busy. Absolutely. So the exercise is, and sleep. I mean, I really do need to get ideally seven hours sleep, ideally eight, seven to eight hours. And I really do make sure I get sleep. Like I go to bed exhausted and I wake up full of energy, like this morning, Monday morning, and ready to take on the day and mm -hmm. to take on life. But of course, exercise helps you sleep. It's all of it, you know, and then it helps you eat better. So I try to watch, you know, to a certain degree. I love food, you know, watch that I don't drink too much um, and eat well, eat protein, you know, make sure I balance not too much sweets or sugar, uh, but not an angel either. That's good to hear. <laughs> uh, I can't let you go without asking about your recent trip to the White House. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So go on. So as just the immediate past president of Dublin Chamber, uh, we, the Dublin Chamber, Northern Ireland Chamber, with, with, went with Leo Vradker and members of government for Paddy's week. And uh, it was the Shamrock Ceremony. Mm -hmm. And it was showing the importance with Brexit coming up of North-South business relations and how joined up we are in terms of the economic benefits of us working together. And it was wonderful 
Uh, firstly, I went to a lot of events, business events, seeing the Irish over there, Irish Americans, and seeing the amount of business IDA were there, Enterprise mm -hmm. Ireland, and the great close relationships between America and Ireland. Um, so we, you know, went to various events, heard from different speakers, talking about that, and the White House itself. I mean, it's a magnificent building. Inside, it's stunning. They lay out, you know, beautiful food all done with green and shamrocks, like the intricacy. It was nearly, you'd be afraid to touch it. And then, of course, uh, we were addressed by President Trump um, and our Taoiseach Leo Radker talking about those strong relationships and the importance of Ireland-America relationships. So I think you forget how many um, Irish we have there and how great it is and how we need to continue to build on that and the investment of American companies in Ireland and the jobs that they create and the opportunities for people uh, that comes from that. Finally, if we, like we've talked about your life from Cork to today, what do you want your legacy to be? I think I'd like people to look back and say that while I was CEO of Vodafone, that I did good, that I you know, represented gender and the importance of it, causes like uh, the policies that we've put in place, whether it's the world-class maternity or paternity policies, the flexible working. I mean, the most recent domestic abuse and violence policy. I mean, we're hearing and reading more and more about femicide and that one in five women in Ireland are affected by domestic abuse and violence. And for me, encouraging other companies to do the same, to recognise the issue so that um, people can be trained in work, that women can come and talk about this issue and be fully supported with time off, with advance in salary, with setting up a bank account, with full support. So I'd like people to think that I did touch their lives and I did make a difference. And, um, you know, because I sometimes meet women who have been in positions and they say they should have done more. And I really don't want to say that. And that it's good for Ireland, good for women, and good for business and the environment that we live in. Anna Leary, thank you so much. Thank you, Jess. If you missed any of this conversation or you want to listen back in full, you'll find the full interview up on newstalk.com forward slash full steam. This series was produced by me, Jess Kelly and Johnny McCann. Full Steam will be back next Saturday at 7pm on News Talk with Katrina Hallahan, MD of Microsoft Ireland.